0: Take a seat, it's great. Hosanna, I, I, I guess that was going to be like 2008, that was kind of my guess and then I sort of, you know, had a little bet with Ryan. 2007 that song came out, I remember that one just going off, you know, a decade ago and it's great to have Fiona leading worship as well, awesome from Meruah. That's a big wig coming up, which is great. And, uh, um, you know, has anyone heard her sing Oh Holy Night? I don't want to focus on her too much, but oh my goodness, that's a treat. <laughs> it is great. It is good. It's my it's my Christmas highlight every year. Um, but I'm looking forward to sharing with you. If we haven't met before, I'm John. I'm the youth and young adults pastor here. And I'm looking forward to sharing. My The title of my message is Lost and Found. Lost and Found. Now, if you know me pretty well, you'll know that I'm good at, one of those things. I'm really good at losing things. I'm really like uh, my my things. So my phone, my wallet, my keys. I feel like they're not actually mine. I don't own them. They're just on like a temporary loan, knowing that at some point it's going to go missing. Like they're going to go missing at some point. Currently, right now, my garage clicker, I, I live in an apartment and it's like a little parking block that you can park in. That is missing. And I don't know where it is. I think my wife has actually ordered a new one. And, you know, I know that as soon as it arrives, I'm going to actually, it's going to turn up. But it's an embarrassing moment when you actually have to park outside of the parking lot of the part that you're meant to and actually climb over the fence to actually get to your house. It's kind of a really shameful. I like to do it at night when no one can see. During the day, it's heaps worse. Now, my, my everyone who knows me kind of knows this. At church, you know, I, I'm regularly half an hour after the service looking for my keys. I don't know where they are. Are they there, Kel? You've got them. Thanks, yeah. Kel is kind of my, my, my keys keep holder, which is great. But my mum knows this really well about me. And I went on a, a my first overseas trip by, my, by myself or with a few friends um, to Malaysia when I was 18. So it was a bit of a big step. And she sat me down for coffee um i think it was coffee and said john you know there's there's four things that you know that you can't lose i do not want you to lose it's like really really important you don't lose these things um number one passport you know i feel like you don't want to lose your passport because then you're not coming back you know you're not returning um the other one number two phone number three wallet Number four was the iPod, and this is probably about 10 years ago when kind of the iPod and the phone weren't the same thing. Um, you know, and it was, a good, it was a good iPod. It was 80 gig. That was like, that's sweet. Like, it's a good 80 gig. Does that whole like, 5,000 songs? I don't even know if that's any good these days, but it was pretty good. I was like 80 gig. It was like 400 bucks. I'm like, yeah, I love this thing. I didn't want to lose it. Now, I fly into Malaysia. We catch, we're catching a bus to where we we're staying. I fall asleep on the bus. I wake up. And I look at my bag, and my wallet's not there. My wallet's already gone. So I'm an hour into the trip and I've already lost my wallet. I don't know if I got stolen. I don't know if I went missing. I did have a guy kind of come and sit next to me, kind of weirdly close, and the bus was empty. And then, you know, I fell asleep. Classic John, I fall asleep anywhere. And, you know, my wallet was gone. Within an hour of the trip, I was devastated. Uh, Fast forward a few days later, um, I was going to a Harlem Globetrotters game. That was pretty cool. That was good fun. Um, But classic John, back in the day as well, I used to always wear basketball shorts. It's just kind of the thing that I used to do everywhere. And so basketball shorts don't have pockets, and so, you know, it obviously is conducive for losing things. And so I'm sitting on a taxi and I had my phone. I get out of the taxi and I don't have my phone. And I didn't realise till too late. And who knows, in Malaysia, if you leave your phone on a taxi, you don't know the, the taxi's company na- name, you're not you're not getting that phone back. You know, there's just no way. To, to actually, the person that you're going to try and call, you need your phone to do. So you can't really call. I had no money. I've got no wallet. You know, I actually went home that night and I was pretty devastated. I kind of, I called my mum. I was like, mum, I've jeez, I've stuffed up, you know, I've, really, I've really, I've let you down, I was actually pretty devastated, I but I ended up coming back with two of the four, the passport and the iPod, come on, that's not too bad, 50%, is that a pass? That's a pass, um, so I come back with the, the most important and probably the least important, and the two out of three, you know, I, di- I didn't get, but, um, you know, I, that was that was kind of that's just a classic me. Now my wife knows this about me as well, and so for Christmas she bought me what's called a tile. Anyone heard of a tile? Yeah, a few people have heard of tile. Basically, a tile is something that you can put on your your keys or on your wallet. to to basically make sure you find it. And so, you know, when you lose your phone, you can call your phone. If it goes under the couch, you can call it. And so, you know, you you find it. So this essentially makes that happen for your keys. So you can press a button on your phone, which calls your keys, makes a noise, and so you find your keys. It's It's a good technology. It's great. You know, I was just like, I lose my keys, and I'm like, hey, I can ring it. You know, it's great. And so I'll ring it and hear the noise and follow it. Now, the awkward thing about that, if you look at my keys right now, the tile is not on there the tile and i i have no idea where it is i have no idea and so the thing is the thing that is meant to help me not lose things i've actually lost I don't know what I'm doing, so I've lost that, and I'm just devastated. I'm like, you know, at least I've got my phone and wallet and keys at the moment, I think, um, for now. Um, But I'm terrible at losing things, and it makes a good segue. We're we're going on to lost and found, and Jesus preaches on lost and found. Three lost things uh, in the Bible. We're going to be getting to Luke 15, um, some great great stories in there, which would be awesome. Excuse me for a second. There we go, feel a bit better. Cool, we're going to get into verse 11, but before we get into that, I want to give you a little bit of context before we get into it, because there's three stories that Jesus tells. He is hanging out with some people, there's different types of people that he was hanging out with. He was hanging out with some sinners, he was hanging out with tax collectors, there was Pharisees, there was religious people around as well, and basically the people, the religious people, the Pharisees, didn't like that Jesus was hanging out with these sinners and these tax collectors. He's like, you know, I don't know why you're hanging out with these people. They're not the cool people, whatever. You know, they're they're the outcasts. They're not the people you should be hanging out with. And so, essentially, they started to mutter about Jesus. They're like, you know, why is Jesus hanging out with this guy? You know, what's he doing? And, you know, it's funny. I think muttering is the kind of thing that you actually you really want to say to someone like, or it's something you've been thinking about for a while, but you're just not quite ready to actually say it to them. Don't you reckon? You know, It's kind of it's kind of thing you, you, you mutter on your breath. And uh, my mum tells me that I mutter I mutter quite a bit. I say it, I, I talk under my breath. I think still to this day, I'm a bit of a mutterer. Um, and I actually one, I remember that I 100% did when I was a kid. She was telling me like, go to your room. And I'd kind of mutter like, you don't you go to your room? <laughs> you know, I just kind of mutter. She's like, what was that? And I was just like, get in the vacuum, get in the vacuum. You've got to make sure it rhymes. You know, you kind of bring something. But I wasn't, you know, it was something I muttered because it was something I was thinking, it was something I really wanted to say. But I was like, I don't want mum to hear that. She'll, you know, I'll be in my room for longer. I don't know. But, you know, I didn't really want her to hear that. And so the Pharisees didn't want Jesus to really hear this. They started muttering about him. But Jesus being Jesus... He not only hears the mutter, he understands it, he knows exactly what they've said, but he responds with not what just one line, he responds with three really articulate stories. It's a classic Jesus. And the stories are funny because they kind of really just bounce. They really go through it. You know, you're kind of like trying to get a word in and Jesus just bounces to his next story. So we're going to get focused on the third story. Anyone know the stories? So the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The lost son or the prodigal son, you might have heard. And we're going to be focusing on the prodigal son, um, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's so good. Um, We're going to go to verse 11. It's on the... On the screens, and Jesus tells this story. So there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He had, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So, kind of just a quick recap: the son has his money. He takes off. You know, maybe he's he's living in Perth. He takes off from Perth. He goes to, I don't know, the east coast, those dark lands over there. He goes to the Gold Coast, maybe um, Brisbane. He starts living it up. He goes to Dreamworld. He goes to Movie Land. He's having a he's having a fantastic time. He buys a Ferrari. Anyone like a Ferrari? you <laughs> You know, I wouldn't mind a Ferrari. It would be pretty cool. I'm driving an Echo at the moment. It's very embarrassing. My wife's driving my car, so I'm driving the Toyota Echo. It's, yeah, you're rocking up to the football club. It's not a good time. <laughs> you know, literally, I'm parking right at the back. Like, I'm just like, I don't want anyone to see me driving this car. But he's living it up, having a really good time. Now, I'm not an accountant. Anyone an accountant here? Can you put your hand up? if you? There's no accountant, so I can just completely fudge the numbers. It's going to be fantastic. No. So, if you have a large... Sum of money. Let's say three million dollars. That's a pretty big sum of money. Who wouldn't mind three million dollars? You know, that's pretty decent, pretty decent. But if you have three million dollars and you have zero income and lots of expense, will that money eventually run out? You reckon it will? You so so that's accountant. We're accountants today. So he this is exactly what he does. He has lots of money. I don't even know really the amount. Probably should have looked into that. But he had like a, a load of money. He keeps on spending, he keeps on spending, he keeps on spending with zero income and eventually he comes to a point where he runs out. He has no money. And not only, is a bit of a double whammy for him, not only does the money run out, but a famine hits the land and starts to get a little bit hungry, he starts to be a little bit in need, he hasn't got a place to stay and he starts to freak out a little bit and it comes to the point where he obviously gets a job feeding pigs and then you know he hits the, the lowest of lows because he's literally looking at what he's feeding the pigs saying, I wouldn't mind to eat that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hungry, I wouldn't mind to actually eat that, and I actually looked into it, I've got a picture here of what those pods look like, there we go, so it's actually from, I, I, when I first, I was like, it's not as bad as probably, as I thought, you know, but but the, I'm guessing that these are kind of nice carob pods, you know, the um, the ones that they're feeding to the to the pigs are probably some sloppy, real gross ones, pigs are probably eating it, they're a real gross animal, and um, you know, he's he's getting into it, what did I just say? It's a, uh, a gross animal. Um, but it kind of looks like a really, like, kind of bad but healthy sausage. I'm just like, jeez, that's just not the combination you want, you know, with a sausage. It's like it's bad, but it's sort of healthy. And, um, and so he's hit this really rock-bottom moment, and I, I don't know if you've ever done something where you felt like you've disappointed maybe your parents so much, you're like, I can just never return home. I've done this a couple times in my life. One I remember, I got my license um, uh, just... And in, within the first week, I'm on my P-plates and I asked to borrow my dad's car to go for a four-drive trip. I'm in the Land Cruiser, the big PC carrier. It was awesome. Um, and I went out. We took it to Pippendini, I think, or Lanson somewhere, and long story short, it was a disaster. It was a terrible time. Um, I was with three of my mates and we got bogged left, right and center. I not only did that, I uh, I popped two tires. I think those things are worth about 400 bucks. I'm like, man, I'm going to be in trouble. Dad's kind of giving me the lowdown of like, you know, how to look after the car. I stuffed the clutch. I smashed the clutch. I, I must have been just really riding that thing. And I smashed the clutch um, what else did I do? I scraped the side, I scraped the side, so I, like, kind of went past, I think it was, like, a big rock or something, and I smashed that up, and there's this, like, the thing that you step up on, whatever that's called, the side rail, that was completely bent up, and I almost rolled the car several times, this is terrible, and parents, um, I'm the youth pass, but I'm now a fantastic driver, (laughs) great, I'm much better at driving, I've had lessons, I'm, I'm a much better driver, and I look after your kids, and whatever, um, but anyway, so I was like, I, I'm i just going to have to cut my losses here, I cannot return home, you know, i am just I'm just, uh, just going to go up north, I'm just going to keep heading north, I've got half a car, and and, I never have returned home, legit, I've never, no, my parents are here somewhere, um, but he, the prodigal son, the son, he's in this kind of moment, this really terrible moment where he's like, I've stuffed up big time, you know, I've... There's no way I can return home or, you know, he's probably thinking that through. He eventually comes to his senses. He eventually thinks, you know, it can't get any worse than this. It can't get any worse. I, I'm looking at this pig food. I want to eat it. At least, you know, the, he's thinking about his father's house, his home. And he's like, you know, at least the, my, the father's servants actually had food. At least they had a bed. At least they had a place to stay. They had, you know, at least a half-decent living They were safe. And so he kind of comes to his senses and says, "You know what? I'm actually gonna I'm gonna make my way back to the father's house," and he starts to form this apology speech almost. And you know, imagine, you know, a child that's let down their dad or something, and you know, this speech is kind of rehearsed in their mind. And he's, you know, got this couple couple of days journey. And I want to read the response that the father's has father has, but just for a second, I want you to imagine or to think about what should be the response. What should, what should be the normal sort of, you know, father response? Even, even a really loving father, kind of human loving father. Yeah, my, my dad's awesome, but I could, and I love him, and he loves me so much, but I even think about his response to me. I'm sure there'd be some serious consequences that would happen. I want, to, I want you to read this, this response with that, that lens. We'll, ver, we'll go to verse 20. There we go. Verse 20 says, So he got up, he went to his father. But he, while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, he kissed him. The son said to him, "Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son." He tries to get out that apology, that little speech that he was preparing, and, and it's almost as if the father just cuts him off and says to his servants, "Quick, bring the best robe, put it on, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. What an unbelievable reaction. What a crazy reaction. You know, they began to celebrate. They began to rejoice. That's not the moment that I was expecting. It doesn't really make sense, does it? Now, this is a a very unique situation already. And I think Jesus, obviously, remember, he's telling this story in a context. He's really trying to draw out I think some, you know, some highs and lows, I guess, in this. He's really trying to create a, a really kind of strong image for the Pharisees. And so the son, he, he's almost like painted as this, this spoiled brat. Like he's asked for something that he shouldn't be asking for unless his dad's dead. You know, you don't normally ask for your inheritance unless your dad is, you know, passed on. And yet, I've read a little bit about this, and commentators actually even talk and say it was almost, and it's really strong, but it's almost as if the son was saying, Dad, I don't mind if you're dead or alive, because I'm, you know, I want my inheritance, I want to go for it, I'm, I'm out and see you later. He left no tires at home. So it's this spoiled brat, it's like, you know, what does this kind of son deserve? Obviously he goes he um, has it he lives it up, and then there's the the rock bottom moment he's literally feeding pigs and this was even a strong image as well because pigs were they're kind of a gross animal now, but I guess we like bacon and other things, so we have a bit of a softer heart towards them, but right then they were like a terrible like really bad, unclean animal that no one no one liked and so feeding pigs was actually like the worst thing you could almost do so you 're feeding pigs and you're actually wanting the grossest food of the grossest animal that's a pretty low moment he's creating this high he's creating this low and then the son has the audacity to, to go back home and you could probably imagine what the pharisees were even thinking about the reaction of what it should be the consequences the son should face and then it's almost as if the the father actually dismisses his actions completely runs to him and the one that probably could have been angry, could have been hurt, could have been, you know, the one that judged him, sent him away and say, sorry, son, you haven't got a spot here, is the one that instead shows him compassion, shows him forgiveness and shows him love. It doesn't make sense. But what God is revealing here is the Father's heart. He's revealing something, and it's not only, I guess, a message for the people at the time, but it's a message for us, and I think, you know, He's really revealing His heart for people. He's really revealing His heart for the lost. But he's revealing His heart for people for searching. that are searching. He's revealing His heart for the people of God, for the church. And, you know, in answer to that original question, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, the reason why I hang out with sinners, why I hang out with tax collectors, is because I am that Father. I am that father. I, I love them. I, I know they've got shortcomings. I know they make mistakes. They fail they fail all the time. They they'll probably rip me off if they if I give them half a chance. You know, I know that, but I but I love them. I love I love the sinners. I love the tax collectors. And see Jesus was revealing here that he's a God that is not out to condemn people, but he's a God out to throw love and throw compassion onto people. It was a bit of a flip of the script. he's not out to, to judge and to make people feel really bad about what they're doing, but instead to love them, that His, kind, that their, his kindness would lead them to repentance. That song we were just singing. Now, I, just, I want to relate this to us to here today. And no matter where you are at this morning, I know we walk into this place all at different points in our faith journey or kind of just life journey. And can I tell you that God wants to throw His love and compassion on you. God wants to throw His mercy on you. And He's a God that actually wants to give you a second chance. He's a God that wants to give you maybe even a third or a fourth or a fifth chance if you need it he's a god that wants to give you life he's a god that that isn't out to get you you know the the building won't fall in if you walk in you know if you' if you've made a mistake but God wants to he wants to love you he wants to forgive you he wants to show compassion to you I want to show you a quick uh, a quicker uh, demonstration if that's all right bit of a, a bit of a bit of a diagram um, if that's a if that's all right we're going to get Kel the the What's On, oh, and Geordie, great, the, the What's On uh, celebrity, superstars, you could say. We're going to set this up There's a, a bit of a way of how you can look at God, a little bit of theology in some ways of, of a Christian walk. And I guess kind of while, while they're setting it up, one thing that, my favorite thing about this story is, is that no matter where we are at, um, I love that in verse 20, it says that God saw him he saw him you know for some of us sometimes we feel like we're far away from God we feel like we you know uh, I guess we're not doing the right thing or we're distant but can I tell you that no matter where you are God sees you God sees where you're at these guys are setting up a a great diagram they're gonna we're gonna have some who wants to be my actor Kel's gonna Kel's a great actor he's good no no now Kel no pressure but you're gonna be Jesus is that okay Jesus You're right, you can live up to the pressure. Okay, we'll see how we go. Well, and actually, and I probably should get Phil doing this, because he, you know Phil, this is actually cool. When we went to Sydney, he got called into like this, uh, what are they called? You know those shows that people do in the streets and stuff? It was awesome. Phil had to be one of the people that was like holding the pole. The guy would jump on his back and and it it was awesome. I filmed the whole thing, so I'll have to show you all at some point. Um, But, so Kel, this is a bit of an apparatus here. What I want you to do is, is stand on the stool. Are you feeling confident with that? Okay, cool. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, oh, jeez, jeez. jeez,, Oh, oh, there we go. Give him a round of applause. That is just amazing. Oh no, 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 no. That is too much. That's too much. The the Ocel safety does not cover that. No, I don't. I don't know if it's Jesus. I'm sure it does. So um, we can sort that anyway. Okay. So these two, I want to. These are two separate sort of images here. So this one here is called the bound and bounded set. And so, what the bound is set, this is ways that we can look at the church, ways we can look at theology and kind of Christian faith and walk. And so, the bound and set, set, what, what defines it is its boundary. So, this, you know, there's a circle, there's people that are in and there's people that are that are out. And so, the boundary is the one that determines whether you're in or whether you're out, right? So, this is, this is probably the default for a lot of churches and a lot of kind of just Christian people in general. Um, obviously, there's some good things, but there's some, you know, broken things about that as well. Now, this here is what we call the centered set. And this is the center defines defines it. There, You might notice, obviously, there's no circle. Um, there's no reason why Kel's actually standing higher. It doesn't really matter. I just sort of wanted you to do that. But, you know, there's just a center and everything is revolved around the center. And there's some people that are near, there's some people that are far um, you know, but instantly everyone belongs. Everyone belongs because there's no in, there's no out, there's no kind of good or bad, there's not Christian or not, but here it's just everyone on a journey. It's everyone on a faith journey. And so as you can see, there's some people that are, that are far away, there's some people that are close away, that are close, but what it all comes about, and this is what we hope to be at True North. We hope to be a centered set church that everyone's on their own separate journey. And you know, it doesn't matter whether you're close or, or far. We well, I guess I guess we want to always try and move closer. But you know, you you're welcome, you belong, no matter where you are in that journey. But what the questions become is is not kind of are you in or are you out, but, but where are you facing? Where are you looking to? So these Jenga pieces, I can't—I didn't really, you know—I probably should have put a face on there or something. But these represent people, and so this um, kind of weird burgundy side is going to be my person that's facing in. So this person can be choosing to be facing out—I don't know, even facing there, facing in—and so the question is—is—is is, is, are we facing in? In a world that you know can have so many distractions, so many things that try and steal our attention you know, in our faith journey, are we facing in or are we facing out? And then not only that, are we facing in or are we we facing out? But, you know, if I am facing in, God doesn't want us just to stay there, but God wants us to keep moving. And the next question is, am I moving closer? Am I moving closer to who Jesus wants me to be, to what Jesus has for my life? You can jump down, Kel. Thanks, mate. Give a round of applause for Kel. And we'll... Now, as I said before, you know, we'll, we'll look into this image more, is that there are people that are near, there are people that are far from God, even probably in a room this size. There's people that feel, you know, at all kinds of different parts of the journey. But can I say, as I said before, just before, that as, as God saw the sun, He sees you. God sees you, and not only does He see you, but He loves you for where you are. He loves you right where you are. You could be right on the farthest end. He loves you for where you are. He loves you where you are. But he loves you too much to keep you there. He wants you to keep moving forward. He wants you to keep taking steps. And, you know, that that picture even of the son, that as he come to his senses, he began to make the journey home. He didn't just stay there and kind of have this realization. It's like, dang, I should have have stayed home. But instead he makes the journey home. The journey back and so what it becomes all about with this faith is is what is your next step what is your next step and we talk about that at true north all the time next step is you know for for some people here closer it's a different step to this person but it's all about what is your next step you know i even think about my the young fella harvey he's here in the here in the front row he's four he's four months old he's a legend is he asleep so I won't talk too loud just in case, you know, he might, he might wake up. No, he's pretty good. He was, at, we actually went to Hillsong last couple of weeks ago and he like slept through like sessions and stuff. It was awesome. He was really good. Slept on the plane. I was really worried about the plane, but he was awesome. Now, Harvey's four months and and obviously there's, you know, changing every day and stuff. There's certain things that he can do at four months old that when he's six months old, I kind of I guess we'll want him to have moved on from. Obviously, you know, I want him to grow and to, to be able to begin crawling or, you know, talking at six months. Does that happen? I don't know. Um, no, I don't think. Um, I have no idea. I just sort of follow Tegan. Um, but you know, me as a father, I want to lead him to actually progress. I want to lead him to go further. I want to lead him to take his his next steps. That what you know. I love him for where he is right now. I love what he's doing. You know, but. I would like it one day if he could walk. You know, I would like it one day if he can talk and do those kind of things. And so me as a father, I want to lead him in that. You know, I love where he is. I see where he is, but I want—I don't want him to stay there. I love him too much. I want him to progress. I want him to take on the world. I want him to do awesome things. And that's what God has for each one of us as well. He loves us where we are. He, he sees us where we are, but he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to take steps towards him. And so for each one of us, as I said, those steps could be different. For, for someone who's really far away, you know, you might, be, you might feel like you're right over here. You're not even even kind of on this map. You're as far as away. Maybe it's simply for you is just choosing to turn around. It's just saying, you know what? The step for me is, is I'm just going to turn and face God. I'm just going to turn and face the Father today. You know, that's, that's going to be my step. I'm going to, yeah, I've got a long way to go, but I'm on my way. I'm going to start moving, I've come to my senses, I've realized, yeah, God is a God of compassion, yeah, maybe He will accept me, and God will accept you, but you know, you've got to begin to make that step, to make that journey. Maybe you're here in the middle, Um, I don't even know really how you can define this, but maybe you feel like you're in the middle, and You know, I I kind of relate with this one, but your your journey's been a bit of a zigzag journey. It's like, oh, I've sort of, as I've been going, I've kind of looked to the left, I've looked to the right. And today it's just like, actually, I'm just going to lock in. I'm going to lock into the center in a new way, like more than I ever have before. Today, I'm just going to, I'm going to start a Bible plan. I'm going to connect in a connect group. I'm going to make sure I go to church every Sunday. You know, I'm going to lock in. I'm just going to, I'm going to have a new focus on the center because I know that God has things for me and I want to move closer. And then others, you could be like this one, Phil, Phil Ingham. No, I don't know, but it could be whoever. It could be whoever, and and you you do feel really close. You've been you know in church for a long time, and that's that's great. You've been a, and you know you might have been in church even for a short time, and you, you're really close. That's great. But the question is, is not only who are you looking at, but are you moving forward? You know, because it's so easy for our walks in faith that as we look at something, sometimes we kind of get familiar and our walks can get stagnant. So I want to encourage you in that, that not only are you, what are you looking at, but where are you moving? Where are you heading? We're going to look at the reaction of the, the older brother here. We're going to go to verse 25. And it's a pretty different reaction to the one of the father, that it brings out some some different things for us. Um, I might welcome up the team as well, the band. I've still got a little bit to go, but that'd be great. Maybe at least the keys, that would be fantastic. And we'll read we'll read this... But he answered his father, look, all these years, you know, I've been slaving away, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father replies, he says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate we had to celebrate and be glad because his bro- this brother of yours was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, straight away from the, from the get-go, this is probably the reaction we were expecting, wasn't it? This is the reaction that really I was expecting probably of the father. It's like, you know, you know we should be angry. We should. But as we sort of dive into it, we realized that the older brother was actually missing the point. And it, it simply kind of the last thing I want to focus on, the final thought for you uh, this morning is, is just having a new heart for the lost, having a new heart for the excluded, for the forgotten, for the downcast, for the people that don't always easily fit in, for the people that you know don't always you know, jump straight into the, the friendship groups, the popular, whatever, you know, the, the people, a new heart for the lost, new heart for the people that don't always fit in. Because the oldest son here, he actually forgot what it was all about. Because although he was actually under the father, he forgot the father's heart. Jesus was revealing something. And I think, you know, it's, it's a story that we obviously know as the lost son and the prodigal son. And I've heard other names like the, the father's heart. But I actually think it could be also the two lost sons. Because although he was in the house, he, for whatever reason, got a little bit lost himself. And, you know, if we're not careful, this is something that can easily happen to us as well, is that although we're in the house, although we, you know, we're looking at God, it's so easy for us sometimes to get a little bit lost as well, to forget what it's all about. And when our our heart's not realigned or not in line with what the Father wants, then I would suggest that's probably an indication that we are maybe a little bit lost from what God wants. So Jesus, he's telling these parables. So the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And he, basically what he's saying here is the house of God is for everyone. The house of God isn't just for a few. It's not just for the spiritual elite, but it's for everyone. And I love how each one, if you read them, it says each one there was rejoicing. Every time someone was found, there was rejoicing. And that was a key part of it, is it was rejoicing. You know, the, the older brother did almost the opposite to rejoicing. And I think, you know, his reaction and what the Pharisees did so well, which is the kind of the person that Jesus was almost comparing them to, the, the older brother, is that what they did was was create barriers for people, was that they created barriers for people, um, you know, for the house to actually step into the house of God. You know, if we re- relate this to, to just church for a second, you know, I believe that one of our biggest jobs for us as people in the church is to remove barriers, not create them. It's to... Mer- actually make it easier for people to connect into faith, make it easier for people to connect into, you know, small groups, into, you know, whatever it is, into hanging out in the cafe outside, you know, make it as easy as possible, because that's what it's all about. Connecting people that don't automatically always fit in. You know, one of the things I love about this, this even just picture here, that, and the new heart for the lost is, it sort of shifts the, and this is obviously a personal, you know, kind of journey one, but you know, can work in multiple ways. It shifts it from, you know, this isn't about me, but if I'm found, um, let's use Phil, sorry. Um, so if I'm found, you know, and I'm facing, it's not, it's not about, you know, how can I make it harder for this person and you know stuff. I've, I want them to learn the way that I learned, you know, make the mistakes I made. But actually, when you are found and you're facing Jesus. All it becomes about is actually how can I help this person? How can I make them take a step? How can I bring them along? How can I remove barriers? You know, if it's through a certain conversation, if it's through, you know, actually saying I'm not gonna I'm not gonna chat with my best mate you know, at church today, I'm gonna actually go connect with that person that's new, you know, how can I knowing that I'm found, knowing that I'm centered on Jesus, how can I make it easier for the person that that is that is further away from me? You know, not this is what separates us, but you know, actually, we're all on a journey. I too was once in that place, and you know, I want to. I want to help you get further. I want to help you go further in your life. And something I've been really wrestling with is, and this is a question I've been asking myself: is how is the church experience easier because of me? It's a good question to ask yourself. How is it easier because of you? You know, do I look at my, if you look at your current operation, and I look at myself, do I currently make it harder or easier for people to connect? And I know that sounds like a bit of a silly question, because you're like, oh, of course, I make it easier. But to be honest, if you really, really evaluate kind of the way, you know, people connect and things like that at church, and even just the kind of conversations that we have, even in work and stuff, it's so easy to bring this kind of mentality. It's like, you're good, you're bad, you know, how you, you create barriers. But how do I, you know, in through my conversations, through the way that I act, knowing that I'm found, actually make it easier for other people? This is the last thought I just want to finish on. I just imagine the older brother. So obviously he has a reaction where he's creating barriers. I don't know the altercation that went down between them two. Uh, maybe there was, you know, a bit of a fight or whatever. You can imagine how brothers go. But I just sort of imagine, imagine if instead of him, you know, going to that point point, just be like, you are, you know, what have you done? You've, you've stuffed up. You've, you've taken your money. You've done all this thing. You've gone, like, you don't deserve to be living here. You don't deserve to have a house. You don't deserve to, to be here. But imagine if he's flipped the script and said, actually, you know, this isn't about me. This is about the Father. And this is about the Father's heart. And the Father's heart is, the Father's rejoicing. The Father's all about the loss. And, you know, he's on a different journey. And instead, he greets his younger brother with a welcome home. He greets him with a, I'm so glad that you made it. I'm so glad that you're here. I know the journey's been tough. I know you've probably had some twists and turns along the way. You know, because the son, the, the younger son would have been feeling pretty bad about it already. You know, he's already come to that moment. Like, I've, you know, I don't deserve to be here. And So pounding on the pressure from the older brother didn't help. And so I guess the the challenge I want to leave for you, something that's been in my mind this week is if 20, and I just sort of made up the number 20, but if 20 prodigal sons or people were to rock up into this church, how would we react? If, you know, if 20 people were to rock up in your life that were, you know, broken, that were from different sort of backgrounds, that were, you know, whatever, journeying in their own way, would we be ready for them? (laughs) Because I honestly believe that if we are prepared, if our hearts are in the right position, God will send people. God will be tugging on people's hearts, but we've just got to be ready. We've got to be ready to to accept them, to to show that compassion, to show the forgiveness of the Father. We've got to be ready. Again, stand to our feet. We're gonna we're gonna sing a song. Um, this song, "Heart of God." It's a it's a incredible song talking about pretty much yeah it talks about pretty much some of the things that we've 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 uh, spoken about today. And there's a couple lines in there: mercy over judgment kindness which leads us to repentance and i just really believe that you know for us to go forward as a church it really does it really does take us having a new heart for the lost a new heart to shift our attention off our off ourselves and i think we're great with this as well but we can definitely take a step up you're saying god you know it's no longer about me and my house i don't want to get lost in the house but god i want to i want to make sure this is about others and you know i I've, I've had a journey and I want to make sure that people maybe don't go through that same sort of make the same mistakes but I'm actually going to help them to take some steps towards Jesus let's pray God we do just thank you so much for your heart your incredible compassionate heart that, that loves us no matter what that loves us wherever we've been that loves us when we get to that rock bottom place when we've completely stuffed up when we've made so many mistakes God you love us and God, I pray even right now that each one of us would feel that compassionate heart, that would know that we are loved, that know we have a position in the house. And even if we do feel far away, that today we're making a decision to start to go on our way towards you. But then God, I also want to pray even just into that attitude of a new heart for a lost. God, I pray that we would be a church that that isn't about ourselves, that isn't about, I guess, kind of our own... What, what our own holy huddle God but it's always about the lost it's always about who is on the outside it's always about um, you know new people and connecting the outcasts connecting the, the people that are often forgotten and God I pray that you would just expand each one of our capacities to know you and to, to reach the lost, to reach people around us, God. May we act in a way that is loving. May we act in a way that is compassionate towards others. May we not judge people and say you're in, you're out, or you're good enough, you're not. But God, may we be compassionate towards each other and be on a journey, helping each other, removing barriers, and stepping into all the things that you have for us. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song, How to God.